good to be back with you again. Uh, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We'll be looking at the triumphal entry tonight. Um, in chapter 21, we see the three offices of Christ, the prophet, priest, and king. And probably the one that's the most uncomfortable for us as Americans and just sinners in general is uh, Jesus as our king. Uh, we don't like kings. We fought a war against kings. And we really don't understand what, uh, uh, what it means to have someone that makes all our decisions for us. But uh, the idea of a king in and of itself is not all that bad, as we see as Jesus here is presented as our king. Uh, so read along with me, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Son. Uh, we ask you now that you... Send your spirit to soften our hearts and open our minds to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I think uh, the main point of this passage is that Jesus is the humble Messiah. He's the foretold king of David who is coming to rule Jerusalem and the world, whether you like it or not. So Jesus is the humble Messiah the foretold king of David, who is coming to rule Jerusalem and the entire world, whether you like it or not. Uh, I kind of want to break this up into three parts. We'll look at the context. This is an odd scene. It's a carpenter on a donkey, and somehow that's a triumphal entry. So I think it's important to kind of go through the Old Testament and find out what makes that so triumphal. And then I want to just look at the king, spend most of our time looking at Jesus, and seeing uh, his attributes. And then finally, we'll look at his followers, those who are following him. So let's take a look at some context uh, from the book of Matthew and from the Old Testament in general. So at the very beginning of Matthew, and you don't have to turn here, uh, verses 1 and 2 in the first chapter, they start out like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. So the very first thing that Matthew opens up his gospel with is that Jesus is the son of David. And by that it means he's in the line of David and he's in the line to be the king as David was king over Israel. 
Uh, the other thing that's mentioned that's important for us is that uh, he's of the line of Judah. Uh, and as, if we go all the way back to Genesis, we'll see how that's important. So you don't have to turn there again. Genesis 49, uh, verses 8 through 11. And what we see here is that Jacob is in his last days and he's giving blessings on each one of his sons. And as he comes to Judah, this is what he says about Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. So you can kind of see already the theme of he's going to be ruling over his brothers and over his enemies. Uh, in verse 9, Judah's presented as a lion, and we all know the lion is the king of the jungle. Uh, verse 10 continues on, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So here you got the scepter, what the king holds, what the king rules with, shall not depart from Judah forever. This is an eternal kingdom, an eternal king. And to him should be the obedience of all peoples. It's not already just Jerusalem, just Israel. It's all peoples of the whole world. And then verse 11 even mentions that binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. So already we can see donkeys uh, and colts uh, as linked to Judah, who's, who has the, the line of David in him. So already there's a correlation between riding on donkeys and the king of Israel. Uh, if we go a little further in the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 1, we see Solomon's triumphal entry. And there's a lot of similarities there between that and Jesus' triumphal entry. So I'll read a few verses here. Uh, here's King David says, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon! You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne. For he shall be king in my place, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Then in verse 38 we see, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gehon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by the noise. Again, you can see some similarities there. Solomon is coming into Jerusalem as king on a donkey. And people are responding. His followers are following him, saying, uh, Long live the king. And there's uh, a great, uh, the earth is split by the noise. Very similar to what we just saw here in Jesus' triumphal entry. And then the last thing we'll look at is what Matthew includes in the account itself, and that's uh, the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, Matthew includes just verse 9, but I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. And they say, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. So from these passages, I think we can see a couple of things here. Uh, We see that there's definite connection between the king of Judah, of David, and riding on a donkey as a way of signifying that they're the king. Uh, There's a lot of loud shouts and rejoicing that accompanies this uh, when the king comes to this throne. But it also causes stirs within... uh, uh, amongst the people. Not everyone's always happy about the king who's coming. And then from Zechariah and also uh, from, De- from Genesis, we see that this king is not just the king of Israel, but it's the king of the entire world that's in view here. So let's look at this king. Let's look at Jesus and what makes him a good king. I think uh, in our minds, we, have, we can think about the Queen of England, who is not quite much like this king presented here. She doesn't have ultimate authority. Uh, she, has, she, can say, she can say things, she can command things, but depending on what it is, people may or may not have to listen to her. We really don't care what she says. We don't have to listen to her at all. Such is not the case with Jesus. So the first thing we see about Jesus and his kingship comes in verses 1 and 2. So look we're back in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. So when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, To the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. So the first thing we see is that Jesus makes commands, and he expects people to listen to them. So here he tells them, Go. Go get the donkeys. He says, Untie them and bring them to me. Uh, What made Jesus so special is this is what he did throughout his entire ministry. Uh, The first thing he comes, uh, Matthew tells us that he preaches is that repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then even through the whole Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, there's just command after command after command. Uh, You have heard it said this, but I say to you, don't be angry, Uh, don't lust in your heart, don't be anxious. These are tough things, but they are commands that we're expected to do. Uh, Other commands that we find in Matthew is... Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This one's interesting because it it works as a promise. We are constantly working for our salvation, and Jesus, he invites us, come to him, rest from your work for your salvation. But it's also a command, because unless you go to Jesus for this rest, you will not receive it. Uh, The next thing we see as far as Jesus' kingship is not only is he king, but he is God. And that ramps it up to a whole nother level. Look at verse 3. It says, If anyone says anything to you, and this is Jesus talking, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So again, Jesus is talking to his disciples about bringing these donkeys to him, and he says of himself, The Lord, he calls himself the Lord, he needs these donkeys. I think this is Jesus... Uh, claiming to be God here. Because there's a few options when uh, talking about the word Lord. It can just mean somebody's master. Oh, Lord, Lord, you're my master. Uh, But that would mean that Jesus owns these donkeys, and that really doesn't make sense here. Because if uh, Jesus owns these donkeys, then there's no need for him to to tell, uh, tell his disciples that when you go and find them, tell them I need and they'll let you use them. That doesn't make sense. What does make sense is that Jesus is claiming he owns them at a whole other level as the creator. As God, Jesus owns everything in creation, including this donkey, and he is claiming that here. Uh, But we can see this further. In verse 9, we see 
the crowds crying out to Jesus, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Hosanna in the highest. As we saw earlier, this comes from Psalm 118. Uh, this is one of the, what's called a Hallel Psalm, Psalms 113 through 118, which were used as uh, the Jews went up to the temple during the festivals, and they're directed at God when they do it. But here, as we see, it's not just God in general that they're directed at, or even the temple. It's the crowds that went before him, verse 9 says, and that followed him that were shouting to Jesus, Hosanna, save us to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then further, we can see the response of the, uh, of the, the priests and the, and the scribes when they continue this chanting in the temple. So if you look ahead to verse uh, 15 and 16 here, it says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, so again, claiming one, saying Psalm 118 at Jesus, uh, they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear these things that they are saying? Do you hear that they're calling you God? And Jesus answers them, yes. Have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? Jesus here doesn't, doesn't say to them, oh, you shouldn't worship me, because he is God. Uh, if you think in, in Revelation, when John worships the angel, bows down and worships the angel, what does the angel say? No, no, you must not do that. I'm, I'm a servant just as you are. Worship God. Jesus doesn't say that because Jesus is God. So one thing that makes Jesus a good king is that he is God. He is the perfect king. Another thing we see here in verses 4 and 5 is that Jesus is the king who's foretold. This isn't just happening out of nowhere. This is something that was uh, seen before or was expected to happen. So let's read verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Matthew loves uh, to tell how Jesus fulfills different things. He does this many times throughout, throughout the gospel. And here he's saying that Jesus is this king that's been foretold in Zechariah. It, it's interesting um, that he leaves a few things out of the original passage. Uh, and, and I think he does that to highlight some different things because people thought that Jesus was coming as a political king. They're, they're hoping he's going to come and usurp Herod, who's on the throne, who's a wicked guy, and the Romans who are ruling over Israel. Well, that's not what, what Jesus came to do, at least not at this time. Uh, so Zechariah, he, he doesn't... Uh, Matthew doesn't use Zechariah 9.10 at all, where he talks about cutting off the chariots, cutting off the war horses, cutting off the battle bow. He leaves that out completely and just focuses on the humility. And even in verse 9, he leaves out uh, the righteous and, and having salvation is he, and just skips over to, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. And I think this, this help serves the whole, the whole point of this passage here, is that Jesus is the humble servant king. So again, you see that in, in verse 5 is what's highlighted there. He's humble, mounted on a donkey. No king that's coming on a donkey is there to make war. Jesus is there at this time for a whole other purpose. Uh, we, we see this, if you look further on here, this is the last week of his life and, and until he's resurrected. 
And he, what he doesn't go to is a throne. What he does go to is the, is the cross. Uh, one thing that kings do for us is they fight battles on the behalf of their people. And the battle that Jesus fought on behalf of us was the battle, for, battle of, with sin. Now, each, each command that I said Jesus has earlier, we've all, we've all broken, and many countless other ones as well. Um, we do easily get angry. We do lust in our hearts. We're anxious about many things. Uh, and, and having broken these, we have brought guilt upon ourselves. Uh, we, we brought shame upon us because we have not honored our eternal king. And the penalty for this is eternal death under the crushing weight of the wrath of God. And this, this battle with sin is not something that you can win on your own. Uh, but thankfully, God, as our humble servant, Jesus, has won this war with sin for you already in his death on the cross and with his resurrection from the grave. The king still lives. He lives now and he is seated now on a throne in heaven. And what he's commanding you now is to repent of your sins and to believe in him and this work that he's done and to come for him for this rest. And that's, that's the first thing that marks Jesus' followers. So that's the last thing we're going to look at here is Jesus' followers. Uh, we continue on in verse, verses 6 through 8. We're going to see that his followers follow his commands and they serve him as king. So verse 6 says, the, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Uh, so they do exactly what Jesus commands them. He commands them to go get these donkeys earlier on and bring them to him, and they do exactly that. Um, they, they, uh, they, uh, the first thing that they do is they, they have repented of their sin. That's what makes them followers, and they do this daily and follow Jesus. Uh, what what Jesus' followers do is try, through the power of the Spirit, to conform themselves to their king. And so they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Another thing they do is that they praise Jesus as God. And without this, you cannot truly be a follower of Jesus. In verse 9, we see that they're, they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As we've already said before, they're, they're, they are saying that Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus himself says this in a different way in, in John 14. He says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to me comes to the Father, except through me. So this means it's not good enough to be, a, to be just a good person. It's not good enough to be, to be a good Muslim. It's not good enough to be a good Jehovah's Witness, because what they all lack is they do not see Jesus as God. The last thing that Jesus' disciples do, his followers do, is that they tell others about their king. We see this in verse 10 and 11 here. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Like, it was like an earthquake had happened. And they're, they're asking, who is this? And the crowd say, the crowd that has been following Jesus says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They tell the people of Jerusalem who don't know exactly what's going on, who this guy is, 
and what he's up to. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Jesus causes an uproar here when he comes in claiming to be king. The same thing happened when the wise men came looking for him as king at his birth. They come looking to Herod, looking, where is the king who was born that we may worship him? And Jerusalem is there troubled with Herod. And it's the same thing that happens at the crucifixion when there is a physical earthquake that rips apart the city. It's a funny thing about this. Jesus is a demanding king who upsets the status quo. But until people hear, hear the gospel, they're not going to want Jesus as their king. And clearly they don't see a need for them now because they crucified him at the end of this week. Uh, but what Jesus does use, Jesus uses his followers as a means to increase the number of his followers. We read in Romans 10 that he uses us for, the, for this very plan. It says, How then will they call on him if whom they have, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone telling them? And how are they to tell them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then the great commission itself that Jesus gives at his resurrection for uh, the primary thing that his disciples are to do is go, therefore, and make more disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So whether you, end up just, whether you end up going to a whole other country to do this, or, or whether you stay here and your primary witness is to your family, or, or at your school or in your workplace, followers of Jesus take the gospel with them, no matter where they go, because they know that salvation is only found through this king. As we close here tonight, I just want you to, as you go into this next week, I want you to think about, think about your king this week and the incredible gift of salvation that he's given you, if you are indeed a follower, but that he freely offers to all who would. And then humble yourself, like your king, and follow him, and bring the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to be our good and perfect king, our savior. Father, through your spirit, conform us into the image of our King and help us to rest in his work. Amen.